0: You are listening to The Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Hello, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with The Wealth Formula Podcast. Back today here with uh, Zed Williamson. Uh, This time, not so much as a person I'm interviewing, but rather as a co-host. Welcome, Zed. Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about something that I think is a very, very important topic especially when it comes to successful professionals and you know people who uh, people who are very conservative when it comes to life and uh, what we're going to talk about is the idea of taking risks and you know the fear of failure and how all of those things are creating uh, a, a type of um, Wall uh, in your life that potentially may be preventing you from living it to its fullest, uh, whether that be in business, whether that be in your personal life, etc. Right, because failure is horrible, right? It's, I should always avoid failure. Right, exactly. And in fact, if you think about failure, and I'm going to put on my uh, doctor hat for a moment, here's an interesting thing, and this is not very medical. I was just kidding about that. But I've this hypothesis and this thesis I just say that basically we are all hardwired to take risks Ed. here's why have you ever seen a baby just get up and walk from birth that would be scary I think Kim Jong-il in North Korea uh, I think was uh, was somebody who did that and he also right. was able to read uh, you know, books uh, by the second week of his life etc but most of us uh, mortal people actually had to get up a few times and fall and I've seen this very many times as you know I have three little girls the youngest one is 15 months and she is only a veteran of walking for about 5 months but she kept standing up she'd fall down she'd try to get back up she didn't quit she didn't say well looks like I can't walk that's that right and exactly. so every and and every baby that needs to start talking for example my baby my my youngest is 15 months she's not talking yet she understands a lot but she's cooing she's trying she's trying and that doesn't mean that someday she's not potentially going to be an incredibly eloquent speaker because i i suspect that at some point the most eloquent speakers in the world were cooing but they had to keep trying and they'd mispronounce words and they'd miss Uh, You know, they'd say things that made their parents say, oh, how cute. The child, you know, can't speak very well, you know, and all the things that we do. And then kid goes on to become one of the great speakers in the world. Aaron Rodgers had to throw a football a few times before he became, you know, as good a football player as he was.
1: Right? And I think, absolutely. And I think the, you know, the fear of failure that grows as we age um, can cause A very scary paralysis and people see failure as this negative term when it's not
0: at all why do you think that is
1: well to me failure is you know if you want to label it the universe or your life um, but what failure is is a sign to course correct it's feedback that you get to act on Um, it's different than mistakes mistakes you know if you make mistakes over and over again well, you know, you might be a moron, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> when it comes to failure, failure means that you pushed harder um, than what was comfortable. And you grew and you learned. And that knowledge allows you to take your next step in a better direction. And people who live in a life fear of, in fear of failure, they're, they're scared of, of lack of comfort. And that comfort can be paralyzing.
0: So why do you think that they have that sense of comfort? Because there is a change. If you look at, if you, if you think about what I just said, which was my thesis is that people are hardwired to take risks. What happens?
1: Uh, comfort overall, um, success overall, uh, it doesn't matter how you define it, breeds a, a sort of laziness in my mind. And once you choose to not do something out of fear, that choice grows. And every time fear allows you to not do something, the fear becomes more powerful. And I think that's why, you know, if uh, an adult had to learn how to walk, many times fear would get in the way. And so I think it's we are hardwired because it's a a means for survival um, in our young years. But then it turns out that it's just too easy to live, (laughs) you know. Not as many people would be alive today that are alive today a couple thousands of years ago and that ease of life, um, I think creates a a paralyzing comfort.
0: Well, I don't think, you know, and it's interesting that you say that because I think there's, um, I was trying to get uh, a specific answer out of you, which I was biased towards, which was that I believe that it's our school systems. And if you look at all of us really successful professionals, people who went on to get you know, their college degrees and then they went on to get the advanced degrees and then went to professional school and they went on to get these prestigious jobs, all of us. The type of learning that we did in order to get the accolades, to get the honors and to get people to say, wow, you're you know, a fancy doctor, you're a fancy uh, lawyer, they had to do with a very different kind of success. And that kind of success where somebody spoon feeds you something, you learn it, and then they ask you, a, you know, they ask you a question and you get it right. And so you're rewarded for that. It's a, it's a, high, it's a highly theoretical world, right? You are told what you're, what you're supposed to learn. You're told that, you know, here's what I'm gonna test you on, okay? So take notes, right? The real world doesn't really work that way, but that's the way our educational system works. I'm not, listen, I'm not, um, I'm no expert in education, but I'll tell you that I truly believe that the problem with very hyper successful professionals is not experiencing failure over and over again, being okay with it, and then getting back up. In other words, if you want to learn to walk, it's not going to be, you got to take one shot. And you can't walk so you're gonna forget about it. No, that's not the way it works. And it also doesn't work by somebody telling you, This is how you walk. You gotta get up, you gotta balance, you gotta put one foot in front of the other. You actually have to do it. And that theoretical pounding that we get throughout uh our education system does not exist when you're out on your own in the real world.
1: That's a very good point. I think we've had Conversations in the past where you refer to the idea of failure is you know you're building up some scar tissue. Talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, so scar tissue. I mean, this is where uh, the idea is basically this. Okay, I see life and I see business in particular not as a linear pathway. I don't see it as something that someone's going to tell me how to do it and I'm going to go do it. I'm going to create my own destiny with my own ideas, and I've got side rails along the way that are going to keep me on course. I'm going to make a lot of failures along the way, but I'll figure out the answer, right? And those back and forths along the side along the side rails, those you know, those bumps and bruises you take along the way, they create a certain kind of scar tissue that makes it harder and harder for failures to penetrate you, right? they also make it much harder for you to fail. You know, if you look at it, let's talk about scar tissue theoretically uh, in terms of what it is on tissue. Okay, we'll say, here's a good, here's a good idea. Let's not scar tissue, but anybody who plays a lot of racket sports, you know, you get these little calluses on your, uh, you know, on, on your, right on your hands there right where you're holding a racket. And the idea behind that is You've hit taken a bunch of hits to that area and your body's responding. Your body's responding by creating thicker tissue there so that when you hit the ball, it no longer hurts your hands because you uh, your body's ready for it. I think in theory, that's the way I view life is if you don't take chances, you don't create scar tissue and therefore you don't know you, you can't keep pushing farther and farther. Absolutely it's interesting because
1: people will attribute the idea of failure with a negative connotation and you can pick up on that when you meet someone pretty quickly, what their belief is about it. And so what I would challenge our listeners is, you know, what do you believe is failure? You know, do you, do you align it with any other thing? You know, what would your synonym synonym for failure be? Would you call it regret? Well, if you call it that, you know, I think you're wrong. Failure is is what breeds health. It, uh, it, it, growth, it's required to achieve and to ever think that you can avoid it on purpose, um, just means that you will basically shrink over time.
0: Sometimes I think about it this way, and I've mentioned this parallel before, but, you know, obviously having gotten to where I, um, did with medical school and and then on to neurosurgery residency and and then I left that we'll get in in a second but I had to be good at tests I had to be good at multiple choice tests and one of the things that I realized what and by the way if anybody's about to get ready for a test like an LSAT or an MCAT or a you know national board examination I'll tell you exactly how to do really really well because I was very good at this what you have to do is Get your hand on every question you can possibly get. Okay? You just have to get the material. you got to learn the material first a little bit. Not that much. You just have to, you know, read read the chapter a little bit, listen to the lectures, etc. And then you got to do questions after questions after questions. And the reason for that is that the questions can only be asked in so many different ways. So if you have any material, anything any body of knowledge, you can only be tested on that in so many different ways. There is a finite way to be tested. In other words, the way that the most successful people in my medical school class studied was by reading quickly, listening to lectures, and then taking uh, test questions. And you know what? Every time they got something wrong, they would look up in the answer why why the answer was wrong. And they'd see what was right but the pain of getting it wrong created sort of a pavlovian feedback right it hurts for a second then you look at what's right and you never forget again scar tissue right that's scar tissue and so the real world can work like that too but you have to take you have to take risks and even if you don't take risks at least identify if you've made a wrong decision Right. Because that's everything that we do in life is is about taking risks. Like, for example, in my case, um, when I finished medical school, I decided I want to be uh, a brain surgeon. So I did a did a, a very I got into a very competitive residency uh, and, and to uh, to do neurosurgery, neurosurgic residency. And after a year or so, I realized that I really love neuro neuroscience. I love the brain, but I don't like the hours of a neurosurgeon. So I decided to transfer. And so I did something a little bit uh, less, uh, less intensive on my life. But, you know, you can call it a failure or you can call it a recognition that something isn't working, something isn't jibing with your life. And you have to have the courage of your convictions to make a decision that actually will change your identity. Because for it, for that period of time when I was a neurosurgery resident, I had created this image of myself: is this, you know, top of the hierarchy, top of the food chain, you know, oh gosh, brain surgeon. Wow, that kind of image for myself. And in order to move away from that, I had to check my ego in at the door, and I had to say, "This doesn't fit with who I am." Right? This doesn't fit with who I am because. I'm the guy now who loves to spend time with his family that's inconsistent with this image of myself therefore I have to admit that I've made a wrong decision and go through the pain of discovery and go try to do and find something else that works better and you know, I think it's important to recognize
1: that the why you know so you felt that that line of medicine was going to lead to a lifestyle that didn't really fulfill what truly mattered to you so because you had deep resolve in that belief is what allowed you to course correct on a failure and the failure let's let's label it as a decided direction okay i'm I'm going this direction and then you get to the end or not the end but you you move along that path and you go ah gosh i failed in this choice so sometimes the comfortable thing to do Is like, well, I guess I'm here and maybe I should just keep going. And I think a lot of people think that way. I think a lot of people go, well, I'm here, it's convenient. A lot of other people are moving this direction. Turning left is so much energy, I'll just stay here. And they think, well, it's going to get better. If I get paid more, then it would be worth it. Or if I do it for 10 years, then it'll be worth it. I think it's important to recognize, like you said, early on, you know, have have a, a belief system that allows you to go, boom, failure, awesome, move. You know, it's it's like getting shot at. You know, it's, if it gets close, you're gonna move, um, and that's that's I think that's the way to respond.
0: And you know, it's interesting because a lot of times that's the hardest thing to do, right? Is to say, okay, I've got a comfortable quote-unquote comfortable. I've been through this before I don't believe there's a such thing as a safe comfortable job unless you you know you you've seen the books and you're in charge of them um, but you know there's there's uh, there's the resistance of, of moving on to something that is more desirable or what you'd rather do etc that's one kind of one kind of problem that I see which is not being able to pivot when in your mind you know that's the right thing to do. And the other thing is being flat out fired. In other words, now you don't have a choice, right? So now you don't have a choice. And that is a golden moment for anybody's life. And I can't even tell you how many people I know who the defining moment in their life was to get fired, okay? So the defining moment that was for me in part um I'll talk about that some other time but but the defining moment was to get fired, and the reason for that is because it creates a certain kind of instability that's not part of your everyday life and I've said this before, but the the Chinese word for crisis is the same word for opportunity, and I think it's very apropos. Because when comfort or, you know, apathy is taken away from you and you no longer have a choice, that's the, that's the time to define yourself.
1: It's almost like it reverts you, you know, so someone getting fired, it kind of makes me think of, you know, how you had mentioned that we're hardwired to take risks. Um, when you get fired, you're removed from a situation and it's a must. It's like, well, you can't stay fired. So you go back to where we are when we're a year old and we fall down. You know, it's, oh, I I need to walk. I fall down. Well, you know what, I just got to get up and walk again. And it kind of happens to you. So here you're an adult and you're supporting a family and house and all this. You get fired. Well, it's like a kid falling down. There's no, you don't have a choice. And so it does, it creates the right mindset a lot of the time, because you schleff off all the stupid um, you know laziness and emotions and safety nets and uh, comfortableness, and you just get the job done. And if you can identify that trigger for yourself, then you can actually create it without getting fired.
0: Yeah, I think it's really hard for people, though, and you know, I think it's just because we spend so much time you know, in in grade school and high school and college and so on and so forth. Uh, And um, at least, you know, you know, people like me uh, did that. It's hard to unprogram that. So let's go into real world examples. That so tell me, tell me a defining moment. Give me an aha moment where you had some sort of failure or some sort of realization that made you pull away Uh, and change the way you do things for the better? Sure. Um, I like to, uh,
1: to talk about ones that are painful. You know, there's always a bunch of little failures and ones that still may uh, make you pivot slightly. Um, the big pivots though, I think are important. Um, and it goes back to a, a concept that I try to keep in my mind. Um, you know, we as humans have these pretty fancy brain thingies and, uh, you know, there's some some drawbacks to how we're set up. Um, confirmation bias is one of them, where we will do our best to find the the justification for what we already believe, and that can put you in a, a pretty tough spot. Um, and the, another one is a normalization of deviance. And the idea behind this is you make a decision up front. So I was um, in business, and we had decided to add a service line. And I was going to sub out this service line because I felt like it was a little less risky than doing it in house. Um, And, you know, we probably could be profitable and over time we could build it up and we'd be fine. And so I believed that. And that was the steps that I took. Um, What I didn't do is I didn't create a point where, if this, then bail kind of a a mindset. And I I mention normalization of deviance because this is something. And uh, there's an astronaut who does a great talk about this because we're um, related to the uh, Challenger explosion back in the 80s. And I'll mention it. I'll do a long story short type of a situation because it's important for anybody, whether you're in business or not. The idea was, you know, there was this O-ring that uh, was in the booster rocket, and it kept the – fuel uh, away from very hot stuff, and that's pretty important when you're, you know, sitting on thousands of pounds of fuel that is designed to take a massive piece of metal into the atmosphere or out of the atmosphere. And what they decided when they developed this is, we're going to launch this, and then we're going to check it out when it falls back to Earth, and if this O-ring had failed, then we need to ground the fleet. No more flights. So it was in the 60s, the the rocket takes off, it falls back to Earth, O-ring failed. Holy moly, ground the fleet. Well, that's what they were supposed to do. The problem is there was a lot of pressure coming from media, um, politicians. It was, uh, you know, the race to space. And so what they said was, well, you know, it, it didn't cause any problems. It was probably just a one-time. So let's, let's launch again. So they launched, and they checked, and the O-ring had failed. And again, it was, they were supposed to ground the fleet. Well, fast forward 20 years, they I can't remember the exact number, but let's say they did 17 flights every time that O-ring had failed. And in the beginning, that O-ring failing meant no one fly again. And by the end, before the Challenger flight, it turned into, hey, we expect this thing to fail. Well, unfortunately, in the Challenger flight, it failed at a different time. And, you know, the entire uh, space shuttle exploded and people lost their lives. And they lost their lives from something that everyone knew about 20 years earlier, but because they didn't feel pain, they didn't get that emotional kick. You know, it's like touching a pot that's not hot and then deciding for the rest of your life that pots will never be hot. That's the normalization of deviance. What they, in the beginning, decided we cannot deviate in this direction, it becomes the normal. And then someone loses their life. And what happened to us is the same thing is I made a decision it was costing money but you know it wasn't costing that much money so you kind of take your eyes away from it you don't really want to see the data that's proving your decision bad so you let it go and in the end it cost hundreds of thousands of dollars where if it had cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in in one day the pain would have made me move so to me that was a failure that we learned from and we shifted but I think I could even handle that failure better by recognizing the potential pain earlier on.
0: The O-ring reminds me of the U.S. stock market right now. <laughs> right? Bloated. Corporate earnings down. Stock market indices at records highs. And everybody with the retirement account continues to kind of just blindly throw money in a 401k that's invested broadly in these indices through mutual funds, right? It sounds crazy, but I, I see a parallel there. Absolutely. You know, I've had, I, I have to say that I am one of the biggest failures I know. All right. I've just gotten failures you know, failures left and right. You know, I, when it came to, uh, when it came to, and I say that tongue in cheek a little bit, but the point is that I made a, I've taken a lot of risks and that's kind of been my, my way of navigating the world right and um i thought one of my biggest uh biggest risks that or one of the biggest risks that i took and i didn't even think about it as a risk at a at the time because you know i grew up in it so i grew up in a real estate family i've mentioned that before on this uh on this podcast and my my father's been investing in real estate um for, you know, years since I was born in the late 60s. Um, you know, he, he, he basically came in this country. And uh, by the way, uh, immigrants have a much more natural inclination toward entrepreneurship because they tend to, especially when they come from countries that are not quite as, you know, doing quite as well, are much closer to the earth. They're much more close to that sort of you know, sense that there's not a, um, some kind of, uh, 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 safety net there, right? So they see opportunity. But anyway, my father was, uh, uh, very early when he came to this country, got into real estate. Um, and even though he was an engineer, he was very, very sharp and, uh, gave up his job within just a couple of years of actually getting here. And, um, so I grew up in real, a real estate family. And so the biggest thing for me about real estate was that I believed in investing in real estate and I wasn't afraid of it, which is what a lot of people are. And and for me, it was just, I wasn't afraid of it because I was around it all the time. But when I took a little shot at it myself, of course I didn't consult my dad on this or anything like that, because I figured I knew everything. Um, I basically did what, um, what I thought I was supposed to do. I looked at, um, you know, I, I saw a property, I looked at the financials, they made sense. And back then I was looking at properties with uh, you know, where am I getting the highest return on investment, right? So for the first time I was trying to buy an apartment building uh for myself and this, this is a few years ago now. Uh and all I did was look at the numbers. And uh what ended up happening is that the property ended up being a big lemon and the biggest reason was that it wasn't in a great neighborhood i couldn't find a good property manager i couldn't find anybody who could stabilize the apartment building and i certainly wasn't going to do it because even though i love real estate i don't you know i don't know anything about you know toilets tenants and termites as they say right uh i believe in asset investing so so what happened is i took a you know i took a big loss on that uh building i ended up selling it for a pretty substantial loss uh it is a you know it 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 is what it is right now i learned from that and since then i've i've acquired multiple apartment buildings i've made numerous other investments and i know there's certain things i'm not going to do like i'm not before I ever buy uh, an apartment building, I'm gonna make sure I have a property manager that I trust and that I believe is gonna keep that building stabilized. I'm gonna get their opinion on it. I'm going to, you know, in a, in a past podcast, I used to say that I only look at, you know, uh, buildings that are going to give me a certain return on investment. And I said, a, you know, a cap rate of 10, which those of you who are in real estate might know what that means. It's very high. I don't think that way anymore because I understand that the sometimes you have to pay a price for stability, right? So sometimes you have to look at not only the return on investment on a sheet of paper, but you have to look at the big picture. And the only way you can do that is, unfortunately, again, is to get some scar tissue. You have to go through the motions and understand all the variables that you have to look at and anybody who wants to be a real estate investor or invest in real estate has to has to understand that
1: well it's good to appreciate those those opportunities to learn because if that situation had ended as as you kind of breaking even or maybe doing okay then you might have hung on to the property and you wouldn't have lost quote-unquote the the investment But you also wouldn't have gained the education that impacted so many more uh, highly profitable investments moving forward. So that failure or price you paid, you know, was a true worthy investment in your own education. And, you know, once you recognize that, you're you're okay making decisions knowing that, look, I'm either going to walk away achieving what I wanted or I'm going to walk away with a better – know-how of how to achieve what I want
0: right exactly and here's here's another little tip though that one of the other ways that you can potentially uh, build sort of artificial scar tissue uh, get street smarts without going through the pain is to hire a consultant okay so you know, I didn't used to believe in this, but I believe in this now. I mean, you do have to get a good consultant. You have to get a good consultant. You know, it's the old saying that, uh, you know, the problem with uh, consult is the, is that the first three letters in the word spell con. Well, that, that's that. there is some truth to that. I've run into some con men and whatever. But a lot of times what you'll find is if you can find a reliable consultant, and first of all, they're not going to be cheap. Okay, they're never they're never cheap. I've probably spent this year alone fifty thousand dollars in consultants for various types of uh, new business activity I'm doing. But I don't see it as an expense. I don't see an expense at all because I know now the cost of those mistakes along the way when you're building a business it can be astronomical. It can be four or times that in 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 the types of things that I'm doing. So. I'm a firm believer in identifying an area that I want to get involved with finding out somebody who's really good at it, who's willing to teach me and to pay them and pay them good money to do it. Now, the other thing I'll tell you is, you know, we talk a lot about on this show because this show isn't just about entrepreneurship. It is encouraging entrepreneurship, but it is also about, you know, thinking about the way you invest in financial education. So if you're not if you're convinced you're not an entrepreneur, how can you use some of this information? Well, one of the ways that you can use this information is, is by understanding that the people that you invest with, uh, they, should, they should have failures under their belt. Because if you talk to somebody and you say, tell me about a deal that didn't work for you, or so on and so forth, and they say, well, no, I've never had a deal that didn't work for me, <laughs> turn around and run away. You know, a master surgeon in my residency program uh, used to say to me that uh, his his thing was whenever something bad happened, and we used to do the most complicated cases because it was this, Tertiary Hospital in San Francisco, and he'd say, you know, if you haven't had complications in surgery, you haven't operated enough. Well, that's true for everything, really, right? Absolutely. And so that doesn't mean you go to the guy who's never had complications. I mean, that doesn't mean you invest with the person who's never had a deal go south. I mean, shoot, they're probably due for one, right? they're probably due for one so you want to find somebody who's had a few failures and has learned from it
1: well because anybody who says they haven't either lied or has not done any <laughs> you know they haven't they haven't tried at all i mean it's you know that's and that's another important part is um, don't invest with people who lie. <laughs> so
0: well, and they that's say the, they
1: haven't failed. You know,
0: well, it's, it's not uh, only that. I mean, it's they, they, they. Uh, you may just not have done enough deals. I mean, that's yeah. that's the reality of it. I mean, I mean, I've done plenty of things in my life. Um, you know, uh, where you do a thousand of something and you, everything one goes great, and then a the thousand and one something didn't go great, and you don't understand why. I mean, it's just the reality of it. But that shouldn't scare you off um, from investing with somebody because it's, you know, at least you can, at least you can gauge those kinds of uh, risks a little bit better. I mean, you know, uh, if you are, I'm bringing this up because, uh, because I was just looking at apartment buildings in in Oklahoma, um, which, um, which is a good market, I think, uh, for a variety of reasons. But anyway, uh one of the things I kept thinking about was, gosh, you know, there's a lot of tornadoes out here, isn't there? Um, so, yeah, there are tornadoes. So, so of course, you know, if you're going to invest in Oklahoma, you might want to ask uh, whoever is sponsoring a deal. Well, what do you think about those tornadoes? What do you think of the problem? I and mean, what are we going to do if, if a tornado comes and we have a ton of damage? Am I going to lose a bunch of money? You know? See if somebody's thought about those kinds of things. You got to think about the worst case scenario, but those are pretty, right. those are things that sometimes you just can't control, right? There are things that you can't control. There can be all sorts of natural disasters in California. You can know, have earthquakes, you know, hurricanes in in, California, in, in in Florida and so on and so forth. But... At least those things, you can say, well, there was a reason for it. You see, there was a natural disaster. Whereas in the stock market, where most people think they are investing for the quote-unquote long run, they just keep throwing their money in blind. And then you have these 30% corrections, 40% corrections, and what I believe will be a 50 to 60% correction coming up within the next couple of years. And people don't think twice about it right they don't think because they keep throwing money blind into something probably don't even look at what what money's in there right but that's not the way to go that's the reality is that that's not how the rich get richer the rich get richer by investing in things that they understand that they see as good opportunities and one or two of them out of 10 might fail but those seven or eight that do great make them tenfold on their investment. Absolutely. Anyway, um, I think that is a, uh, you know, I think that's ultimately the moral of the story here. I think the moral of the story is first of all, if you've got a, you know, W 2 job uh, and you're out there and you're thinking about entrepreneurship, ask yourself the question if I got up and tried to walk, and if I haven't tried to walk, why not? And that walking may be very simple. It doesn't have to be you quit your job one day and the next day you know you're you're out there starting some dot-com it doesn't have to be like that and i'm going to show you i'm going to i'm going to have a guest very soon uh on the show that shows you that you can be a professional and do all this stuff and still keep your day job okay i'm going to have that yeah there'll
1: be some uh some chances for people to maybe get some fun scar tissue
0: that's right that's right well there may be some of that but there's also an opportunity here if you are so you know, if you're really worried about this stuff, and honestly, if you're just working 70, 80 hours a week, uh, like my my neighbor, you know, my neighbor's, an, uh, good, my friend of Amadi, uh, he's a neurosurgeon, and I look at him, and the guy, you know, bless him. I mean, he works so hard, man, it's so, so hard. And I look at him, and he loves what he does, good for him, good for him. But all I can tell you is I'm glad I made the choice not to go that just not to keep on that route because I couldn't work like that. Um, but, it you know, it's unrealistic to think of a guy like that who's, you know, so, you know, he loves what he does. He's saving lives. He's doing all this stuff out there. But there's he doesn't have time to go out and start a business and go to learn, invest real estate. He doesn't have time to do that. And he's doing great. he's He's doing very, very well for himself financially. But what i would say to him which i have said to him on a number of occasions is you got to stop investing in the stock market and you got to start looking at things that won't take you very much time there's people out there who are reliable and most of the time are going to get you returns that you only could only wish for in uh, in the stock market and um, and so think about that don't be afraid to get out there Try to create multiple streams of income. Try to make it so if you don't want to work all the time, you don't have to work all the time. The goal is to slowly, you know, if not abruptly, through on, you know, being the entrepreneur yourself, but at least investing to create multiple streams of income so that you can work if you want to work. And if you don't want to, you don't have to work either. And that's our entire ethos at Wealth Formula Podcast. Zed, any last uh, words of wisdom? No, I think I think that's it. Get out and fail. Get out and fail. <laughs> well, thanks again, Zed, and uh, we'll uh, talk to you soon. That's it for Wealth Formula Podcast today. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com.